0: It's a beautiful day today, sun's out and had a nice rain last night in some places, so it's hard to ask for a better day to come and worship God. We're going to talk about something this morning that affects each one of us. Primarily, this this lesson is directed at Christians as believing children of God. Forgiveness allows us access to God, but it doesn't prohibit us from having to deal with sin. You know, God has given us a beautiful part of ourselves that the Bible refers to as the heart. It's important to God, and because it's important to God, it needs to be important to us. The heart is, is such a big deal that it actually tells people about you regardless of what you might say. Uh, There's a saying, if you want to know what somebody believes, just watch how they live. Our words can differ from what our heart says. It's very good at responding to what the mind says, so if our mind happens to allow sin in our heart, then then our heart's going to respond. In Romans, the sixth chapter, beginning at verse 12, It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that we should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness in God. As a Christian, the scripture tells us once we obey the gospel that our body is not our own, that we belong to Christ. And so, after forgiveness, we have the rest of our lives in a process called sanctification. The scripture refers to our forgiveness as justification, and it happens as soon as we're forgiven. But we spend all of our life being sanctified. And we have to be willing to yield ourselves unto God. We can't hold back. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter... In verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all of thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So, when you think about your heart and how you love God and how we're told to love with all of our heart, is there a limit to how much you love God? You know, I think in... Dealing with one another, we typically tend to hold back a little bit. We've been taught by life that we need to be cautious, that we can be hurt, that people will take advantage of us, and so we try to reserve a little bit. But can you truly love God with all your heart? So we have a problem with sin in the world today. Being forgiven of sin doesn't mean that we no longer have to battle because we're all tempted, we'll read in a moment where Christ was tempted. Temptation is not the problem. Sinning from the temptation is the problem. So I believe, and I'll speak for myself, that I can love God with all of my heart except where there's sin. I believe it's impossible to love God with that part of my heart that holds sin. God and sin do not mix. In James the fourth chapter in verse eight, it says, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. What does that tell us? It tells us that we can try and mind the things of God, and we can also try to mind the things of the world, or of sin. In Psalms the fifth chapter in verse four, It says, For thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. God cannot abide to be in the presence of evil. We can read in Genesis, the third chapter, beginning at verse 22, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. It was not too long after God created man that we had a problem. And that problem was sin. And sin separates us from God. He believed the lie that Satan told her. And once you believe the lie, that lie is no longer a lie. But to you, it's the truth. Have you ever thought about that? If you believe a lie, that lie is no longer a lie to you. You hold it as the truth. Ephesians, the second chapter, beginning at verse 4. God provided... A solution, but God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. So sin entered the world, and it created a problem because God loves us. God wants a relationship with us, but God cannot abide to be in the presence of sin. So He sent Christ. He made a way. For us to be forgiven. You know and I think at one point in all of our lives. We think forgiveness. This is it. This is the pinnacle. But really it's just the beginning. So your forgiveness allows you to be in the presence of God. Any sin that we hold in our heart after that. Continually puts a separation. Not that you're not forgiven. I don't want you to leave here and say if. If you're a Christian and I struggle with sin that, that Mark says I'm not forgiven, that's not the case. But it keeps us from being as close to God as we can be. You know, I think as we age, we realize that, that there's more to the Christian life. When we first are, are forgiven, we think, you know, I, I've got it made now, but we don't. Why? Because Satan continues to attack us. He goes in for our weak spots, and he tries to get an advantage. It's probably something that we don't think about um, early enough in life. But if we, if we will focus on learning to love what God loves and to hate what God hates, would we not have the battle mostly ta- uh, tackled? Sure, Satan would still attack us, but if we hate what God hates, then we're not going to be as tempted to join into that. So again, I pose the question, can you love God with all your heart if you have sin in your heart? In Romans 6, beginning at verse 1, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. Now, that that doesn't mean that it's impossible. It doesn't say that, God forbid, it's impossible that you shouldn't live to sin. But what he's saying is, it should be the utmost concern to us to eradicate sin out of our heart because of the grace that was given to us, because of the price that was paid, In God giving his only son. And because the care that he has for us. We have forgiveness. Shouldn't we be motivated more because of that forgiveness to put sin out of our lives? Instead of thinking our sins are forgiven so it really doesn't matter. We can do what we want to. We're forgiven anyway. That's not the attitude that Christ has. In John the 14th chapter in verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's pretty direct. But we know that we struggle with that because of our desires and our temptations. But he equates love with obedience. That's what the scripture says. If you love me, keep my commandments. So again, I'll ask you, can you love God with all your heart if you're not able to keep all the commandments? Isaiah, the 64th chapter and verse six. But we are all as as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Of course, this is a a prophecy of the children of Israel. They struggled all the time. They struggled all the time to stay with, with God, to follow God. Yes, their duties were outward. And I don't even think it ever crossed their mind that it was actually commands of the heart that God had given them. They certainly, it certainly didn't in the latter years of that dispensation. They were concerned about performance. But everything that we can do to be righteous is not good enough. Not without Christ. Christ is our righteousness. But we need to strive to draw closer to God every day. In Jeremiah, the 17th chapter, and beginning at verse 9, this is a a sober statement, really, of ourselves. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. That pretty much lays it out where we're at. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You know why it's difficult, impossible, and dangerous for us to judge someone else? Because we don't know their heart. This gives us an insight of how the heart can be. In Proverbs, the fourth chapter, in verse 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it Are the issues of life. I just, I think if I would have taken this seriously sooner in my life, how it would have saved me from a lot of difficulties. Keep your heart with all diligence. We don't understand how that one thing that slips into our heart that's not from God will lead to two very quickly and two will lead to three and three will lead to four and it just leads us in a spiral of sin. Sin is the enemy of the heart and when we sin, we like Eve have rationalized or we just simply believe a lie and allow it in our hearts. And you know, it's very easy for me to hate the evil that may be in someone else's heart and not even see the evil that's in mine. It wasn't long ago that Brother Van talked about pride. It's about me, doing what I want to do, being enticed with my lust and drawn away. And we all have different lusts. Everyone's sin is not the same but it's amazing how we all get attacked on our own level. In Romans the 12th chapter, oh, I missed that slide. There we go. Romans the 12th chapter beginning at verse 1, it says, "I beseech you, brethren, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God." This word here in verse uh, 2 of chapter 12, transformed. If you look at the root of the Greek word, that is metamorpho, metamorphosis. Those of you who have had any kind of course in biology know that that's when the caterpillar spins a cocoon and he emerges as a butterfly. You know what that is? It's completely different. And we as Christians struggle, especially if we are raised in the church, with thinking that I'm going to be a Christian, I'm saved, and all I have to do is just make a little bit of an adjustment to my life. The scripture says it's a complete change. A complete change. That means we give up our heart to God. It's not ours any longer. That means that my desires are no longer centered around myself, but they're centered around Christ and what God would have us to do. It's very much a change from how we think. I do want to return back uh, to Psalms 97 and verse 9. I want to speak about how the Lord feels about sin That we approach so casually sometimes. Psalm 97 and 9 said, For thou, Lord, art high above the earth, for thou art exalted far above all gods. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. I said a while ago that it was easy for me to hate your evil. Not so easy to see mine. But the scripture says to hate evil you that love the Lord do you do you ever cheer for somebody that gets revenge and what does the scripture say about revenge God says it's his but when a man gets revenge do you ever cheer him on and say at a boy have you ever thought about that hate being hating evil how do you think riots get started this has been a crazy time in our life riots get started because people love evil people love joining in to make a statement to make a point completely against how God would say to handle difficulties in our lives So can you say that you hate evil? Do you ever side with evil? And I pose these questions not to say that that I don't. I pose these questions because they're hard. They're hard to look at. And it, it really takes some looking at ourselves to see where our heart lies. Have you ever considered... How Christ, in the form of a man, was able to live here sinlessly. And that's where I should have went right after this scripture. When we talked about transforming by the renew of your mind. So let's pick back up here. Do you think Christ ever had to renew his mind? Or do you think he was in a constant state of renewal because he was the son of God? Luke 5 and 16 says, And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Why do you think he did that? Was it to offer God some sort of wisdom that he needed to know? Or was it for strength? This is not the only verse. We'll find verses in the scripture that say he went apart to pray, he went into the wilderness and prayed all night. I think that he approached this just the way that we should. We need to pray often to renew our minds. Luke 4 in verse 16 says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was. What does that tell you? That it was a habit? That he did it every week? He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. It was his custom. It was what he did. Do you think it was for those who were in attendance? Or do you think it gave him strength? by seeking the word of God. Do you think possibly that was part of renewing his mind to prove what was acceptable and perfect and good for God's will? We have access to that today. Christ lived his life among sinners just like we do, and he practiced renewing his mind often. We can relate because he was tempted. We know what that's like. James 1 and verse 14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now you know when you really think about Christ as a man being tempted, I think we oftentimes pass over that fairly quickly because he's the son of God also. But you know what? To be tempted, he would have had to have had lust and be enticed. Is that not correct? Is that what the scripture says that temptation is? So I want you to to realize that temptation is not the sin. We're all tempted. The scripture never said Christ lived without being tempted. As a matter of fact, it gives great detail about it. But in order for him to be tempted, he had to have lust and he had to be enticed. Because he was full man, as well as he was full God. We're not going to read about this, but you can in your own time. The temptation of Jesus, found in Matthew, the fourth chapter, first 11 verses. In Luke 11, the first chapter, it says, And it came to pass that as he, was a praying, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And when he, he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone that's indebted to us. Now, I want you to realize he's teaching them to pray. We see it's on a daily basis. He asks for day by day to give us these things. But I want you to know what is at the last. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're told that God will never tempt us more than we're able to bear, but with the temptation, he makes a way of escape. Have you ever thought that maybe this is a big part of the way of escape? Christ said to ask God, don't lead us into temptation. Do you do that every day? Do you start your day by talking to God and saying, please keep me from temptation and deliver me? from evil why would we wait until we're in a cage and say help when we have direct access to God that says during today would you please keep temptation from me and deliver me from evil have you ever read the scripture that says you have not because you ask not makes it pretty obvious doesn't it we need to be praying to be delivered from temptation. Hebrews, the fifth chapter and verse eight says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. It wasn't magic that Christ was able to walk here without sinning. It was because he kept his focus on what was important. And that was the father and what the father asked him to do. Sin is a choice. Sin does not force itself on you. It didn't force itself on Eve. I heard when I was a kid, um, well, the devil made me do it you know, the devil doesn't have the power to make you do anything. He's very good at enticement. And we have lust. But frankly, we choose. We choose to sin because of the enticement. Romans 6 and 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. I think we make this a lot more complicated than it has to be sometimes. It's a choice. We can't lay it off on someone else. It's a choice because of our lust. Before we come, become servants of sin, have you ever heard the excuse or said it, I can handle that? Well, that's a lie. That's Satan's lie from the beginning. I can control it. Really? Now I say that mockingly because I, I've said the very same thing. I can control it. No, we can't. We're weak. I can quit any time. Most of the time, that statement is not followed by the truth, which says, "I just choose not to right now." The truth is, we can't. We are servants to whom we obey. Now I think the most profound statement for me a couple years ago was that freedom is not the absence of rules but the presence of Christ. But how bad do we want to be away from the rules? We want to be our own people. We want to do our own things. We want to make our own decisions. And they all lead to death. Because really when we're doing that we're serving sin do you find yourself in the situation today that you struggle repetitively with something that you wish you didn't do it's not uncommon it's hard to admit and it's hard to really say that yes that's in my heart so, what can we do to get our hearts right? In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, beginning at verse 24, it says By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches or than the greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he had respect under the recompense of reward do you know what the reward is for you to make the choice to eradicate sin out of your life it's a closer walk with your father but you know what it's also a choice And the scripture teaches us here that Moses made the choice. And he knew. He had it made. He had it made. He was living in Pharaoh's house. He was his grandson. But, he knew the recompense of the reward and he chose to suffer so he could get that reward. What is in your heart this morning? I want you to think a little bit. What's in your heart this morning that God hates? For us to love God, for us to love what God loves, we can't have what God hates in our heart. What's the cure for the situation? Because I think if we're honest with one another, we all struggle with something. We all have our own desires, our own lust, the things that we are enticed by. So what's the answer? Second Timothy the third chapter and verse 16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for recre- for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works this is the answer scripture's the answer it's always the answer the world may tell you that it's something else and they will tell you that frequently that the answer to your problem is found by some man's answer that he has determined and not scripture you know part of the problem of this is it really takes some work on our part to be reproofed to be corrected To be given instruction. It's not magically going to just come out of the book when we walk by. It takes opening it. It takes looking. And it takes study. It takes more than reading 12 chapters of some man's idea. That may be good. And it may can change your behavior. But no book ever written by a man can change your heart. But there is a book that can. The scripture. Second Corinthians, the 10th chapter, beginning of verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Are you in a battle? We all are. We've been in a battle since Satan tempted Eve, and she and Adam ate of the fruit. We've been in a battle ever since then. But the Scripture tells us what it's not. It's not physical. There are physical acts because of the spiritual aspect of sin, but the war is not physical. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. Do you know what a stronghold is? The wall around a city is a stronghold. Jericho had a stronghold. Do you know who knocked it down? It wasn't Joshua, it wasn't the priest or the ark or the people that followed, it was God. And if you struggle with sin in your heart today, it is a stronghold. But the scripture gives you hope and relief right here. Our weapons are spiritual and they're through God, mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. What are those things that we have bolded? They're lies. They're temptations. They're the fulfillment of your lust. Imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's why scripture is the answer. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The scripture has the ability to get rid of this stuff that's in our hearts. We have to be honest. And we have to face it. It can be hard. Why? Because of pride? Pride? Because we don't want to admit that we believed a lie or that we've allowed Satan to get into our hearts. And just the fact that Satan's sin are subtle and they slip in without us recognizing them. This talks about in Romans, the first chapter in verse 28. The unrighteousness and the ra- of men and the wrath of God. Disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. The reason these things are in bold type is because these are the minor things that we sometimes allow in our hearts. Do you ever debate? Do you ever covet something that somebody else has? Do you ever gossip about anybody? Do you have pride in your heart? Do you ever talk about someone behind their back? Are you ever disobedient to your parents? Do you ever lack understanding because we expect this to just filter into our heads and we don't work at it? Do you ever break an agreement with someone? Do you ever lack love for your family members? And have you ever been unmerciful to someone? Now, I left out the list, but you know the ones above this talk about people who have left the natural use of men, of women, men that have are become homosexuals, women who perform sexual acts in religion, because those things are astonishing, are they not? They grab our attention. But these other things might have a place in our heart. And that's why scripture's hard. Because if we see it, we can't run from it. Satan has a playbook. This would be the first one. So this is the same reading, but at the bottom you'll notice in red that Satan would say, but you've been forgiven, so don't worry about these things. Really? Do we not? Do we not have to worry if we're forgiven, if we lie, if we cheat, if we talk about somebody, if we gossip? Is that a moot point? Or is it serious to God? When I, at one time, had walked away, Helen Hand pointed out to me, as I began to, to work with some other people who struggle with some of the same things I did, that Satan has this playbook. Have you ever heard any of these from people that you've been around who have let sin in their heart or thought these things for yourself? I'm not really convinced that God is there. I don't know if I believe any. The Bible is good, but it doesn't really mean what it says right there. And then we justify what it doesn't say with the idea of some man. And then we're satisfied with that answer because it doesn't produce guilt in our heart. That's why man's answers don't work. And it's why scripture is the answer. And then after this, there is a descent into a hardened heart and a seared conscience that many people never walk out of. Sin is serious. And we need to do everything that we can to keep it out of our hearts. So how do we do this? We have to keep the truth in front of us. In James, the first chapter, in verse 22, it says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself... And goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. These two things go together. And I don't know, I had that two-before moment this last week when I was reading this scripture that hit me up on the head, that we cannot be spiritually like the first man who looks in the mirror and then walks away. I've never paid enough attention to this. I related to it because that's what happens. We look in the mirror in the morning, we get ourselves all ready, we go away, and we don't know what we look like later. That's not what it's saying. It's saying if you don't spend enough time looking, you're going to forget who you are. He counters that with the second man who looks in the perfect law of liberty and what? Continues therein. It used to scare me to death to think that I had to keep Scripture in front of me all the time. You know why? Because it was a lie of Satan that I believed that it would make my life miserable. What a lie. It actually is the only thing on this earth that will give you peace. If you will keep it in front of you and conform to it and not forget who you are, it is the only peace that you'll have in this life. Plus, it glorifies God. We cannot allow allow ourselves to play the victim. So we recognize this. We hold the truth up to us. We see that we have sin in our heart. We can't say, well, it's only there because this happened. Or it's only there because this person did this. We have to look at it from a spiritual perspective. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter in verse 5, it says, And have ye, and ye have forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure the chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. Is that not what we want? Do we want to be called the sons of God and the daughters of God? Do you want to have that relationship with Him? If you say yes, you can't do it without this. And you have to recognize that your struggles and your pain, especially standing up for the truth, is not something to pity. You can't pity yourself over it because it's God chastening you. Parents, would you let your kids just run out of the building, unobserved, unattended, and go into the highway without some sort of punishment? Would you do something to try to prevent that from happening? Some serious education? And do you think your kids enjoy it? But do you know what's best for them? Folks, this is perspective that we have to have when we realize that there's something in our heart that doesn't need to be there, and it's painful, for it to come out, but we have to hold it against the truth. Hating what God hates takes work. First Timothy the fourth chapter, verse six: "If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained." But refuse old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather to godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. We all understand about bodily exercise. We hate it for the most part. We know we need to do it for our physical health, but we don't like it. Here's you a good reason not to. God says it profits you little. But on the other side of that, he says that spiritual exercise is what it's about. And for us, exercise is painful. And maybe it's painful here. Maybe it's hard for you to stop what you're doing and say, I've got to go to the gym. The spiritual gym. But we can't approach it with the same casualness that we do our physical life. We talked about Moses making a choice. Joshua made a choice. In Joshua, the 24th chapter and verse 15, it says, And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That makes a really nice plaque, doesn't it, in your home? I'm not against that because I think it's good reminders. Joshua was talking to people in his day in the dispensation of Moses, the children of Israel. And they had a problem with going and serving other gods. And you and I ask why. Why would they do that after what he did for them? And we want to lay blame on them for being weak when we do the same thing. Why would we let sin in our heart when he's delivered us? Is it not the same thing? Yet we tend to look past the mode in our eye at someone else it takes humility to do this because pride is the enemy of God and of you humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up James 4 and verse 10 pride says you can lift yourself up and you'll be blessed but it doesn't work that way that's not the answer of scripture maybe the hardest thing to do about making this work is we accept the truth and we acknowledge the lies that we believed funny thing about lies as i said before if you believe them they're no longer a lie to you. So we have to guard our heart. In Romans, or in Proverbs, the 11th chapter, verse 2: When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. In Romans, the first chapter, In verse 25, we read this earlier. They gave all the list about the unrighteousness of man. What did they do to become that way? They changed the truth of God into a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. We still have the ability to do that today. It's all around us. We can change the truth of God into a lie if we don't devote ourselves to what the truth is. You remember the story of the young prophet? We're not going to go there and read. It's, it's in First Kings 13, though, if you want to mark it down. 11 through 25. God called upon a prophet to go to Bethel and to prophesy against them and the sin that was taking place. And he did it. And he made a big stir because there were some sons of an old prophet that came and said, man, you won't believe what's happened. So the old prophet went to the young prophet and he told him to deviate his way home from what God had told him. God had laid out a set of rules. I want you to go this way. I want you to speak against them. I don't want you to eat or drink there, and I want you to go home a different way. And we sometimes wonder, why would an old prophet lie to a young prophet? But you know, God tests us in so many ways. And I think this is a great example of where the answer lies in Scripture with God. Not with someone who says, they're telling you what God says. We've got what God says. The danger is not listening. The prophet believed, the young prophet believed the old prophet. He went to his house and he ate with him and he left and he was killed by a lion. We may not understand every reason, but what we can get from that story is don't listen to anyone except God and pay attention to what he says and put it in your heart and fight everything else that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Are you loving something today that God hates? Another way to put that is are you loving something today that Satan loves? If you have a need in your life to eradicate those things, we can pray for you Or if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and become a child of God, you can do that today. It just takes obedience, it takes faith, belief, a confession that He is a Son of God, and having your sins washed away in baptism. Very simple. But it takes humility, and it takes love, and it takes belief. But it can happen today. I hope you've enjoyed the study this morning. If there's one here of either class, we ask you to come to the front pew as we stand and sing.